Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 to 14, in part one of a sermon series called Press On, with this message from December 29th titled Leave the Past Behind. The writers of scripture liken the life of a Christian to a race. And this race is taking place every moment in every corner of the earth. This race is not a hundred yard dash, nor it is a walk in the park. Rather, it is a marathon, a long distance race. Running along with us in the throng are the young, the middle-aged and the aged. Some have just joined the race. Some have been running for years and have nearly reached the finish line. There are runners from every nationality, every race, every language, every ethnicity. Some are running strong. Some are barely hobbling along. Yet all are moving in the same direction. However, not every believer stays in the race. We remember with sadness the brothers and sisters who no longer run alongside us. Some went dramatically off course. Others started strong but gradually began to coast until they were only going through the motions of the Christian life. Well, some aren't even bothering with emotions at all. We look at the runners who have faltered and we wonder, how can I keep running this race? If there have been those who faltered, if there have been those who have fallen, how can I keep going when tempted to give in and give up? Will I make it in spite of sorrow and suffering? Will I make it in spite of pain and loss and trials and testing? How can I keep going? Philippians chapter three provides us key principles when followed will help us keep running to the finish. And even if we do stumble close to a stop or drop out of the race entirely, the race doesn't have to be over for us. According to the word of God, we can get back into the race anytime, all because of God's grace. God will graciously restore us and empower us to get back on track. And what makes this race different from all other races is that every person is a winner. All who finish will receive the prize and participate in a glorious victory celebration. Everyone who finishes a race will receive a reward. Today, I'm beginning a two-part sermon series from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, which I've entitled, Press On. Press on as we have come to the end of a year and as we will be beginning a new year. In this verse of Philippians 3.13, Paul offers his strategy for running a successful race and in so doing encourages us to implement these key principles in our lives. So to set the context, I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 2 all the way to verse 14. Listen carefully to what Paul writes. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. 
We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things are valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience a resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. In the first half of Philippians chapter 3, Paul defines and describes the race that we are running. And in the second part of this chapter, he discusses his strategy that will enable him to run well and run to the finish line. What then is this race that Paul is running? We read for, as we read this passage, we realize that the race Paul is running is a pursuit of a vital and dynamic relationship with God. In verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> in other words, Paul was saying, I want to know Christ in a personal, powerful, and practical way. I want to experience the power, the freedom, the joy that comes when we live in light of his resurrection. I want to have the attitude Jesus had when facing difficult times in his, in his life. I want to know that sense of peace that transcends a world. And I want to live now as a person who attains the resurrection of the dead on this side of the grave. Paul understood that the Lord took hold of his life with a goal in mind. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, he elaborates on this goal. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Paul says that God's calling and purpose is that we be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, God's desire is that we grow to be like Jesus. 
God is not just concerned about getting us in the door. He is not looking to merely save us. He is working to transform us, to transform our thoughts, our beliefs, our character, our conduct. And therefore, we always ought to be moving toward Christ-likeness. We ought always to be making progress toward holiness and righteousness. But in order to grow as Christians, Paul says we must be focused and we must be determined. We will not grow if we do not work at growth. Yes, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. But growth requires that we work in cooperation with God. Paul realized he had not arrived at complete Christ-likeness. Like us, he was a work in progress. No matter how far he had come, he had not yet reached his destination. He had not yet reached perfection. Now, the word perfection that Paul uses in, this, in these verses also means complete, completeness, or wholeness. And Charles Wendell says it well. He says, God is seeking progress from us, not perfection. God is seeking that we be moving forward in our relationship with him, that we cooperate with him and move toward that completeness, that wholeness. Therefore, Paul was going to put effort and energy into his spiritual growth. He was going to exert himself to the uttermost. He was going to stretch out. He was going to strain toward his goal like a dedicated athlete. Well, after expressing his desire to grow in Christ-likeness, Paul then goes on to talk about his strategy. He says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I'm going to press on in this race. I'm going to continue to run full out, full throttle, dedicated, determined, disciplined. In essence, Paul is saying maturity is forgetting the past and living today and for the future. Immaturity, on the other hand, is living in the past and forgetting today and the future. Paul is saying that maturity is not a destination, but it's a journey. One that we run completely, wholeheartedly, and with great energy. This morning, consider with me the first part of Paul's strategy. He said that he was going to forget the past or he was going to leave the past behind. In other words, Paul was saying to successfully grow in Christ likeness, we must forget the past. When you are in a race, the last thing that you want to do is look back. Take a moment to look at the picture on the screen. Some of you may recognize this bronze sculpture, which commemorates a race between John Landy and Roger Bannister during the 1954 game, British Games in Vancouver. This was a race known as the Miracle Mile because it was the first race in history to feature two runners who had both run the mile in under four minutes. Landy held the world record, and he was actually winning the race when he made one critical mistake. And you can guess it. He looked back over his shoulder to check Bannister's position. As he looked over his shoulder on the left, Bannister surged up by him on the right, winning the race by 0.8 seconds. This statue was sculpted from a photograph taken on that fateful moment, on that fateful day. 
Following the making of the sculpture, Landy apparently quipped, while Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back, I am probably the only one ever turned into bronze for looking back. Looking back cost John Landy that race. And he is forever remembered for that one fateful mistake. Paul didn't want to make a similar mistake when it came to his spiritual maturity. But it does beg the question, what does Paul have in mind when he says, forgetting what lies behind? I mean, after all, doesn't scripture command us to remember? For example, to the children of Israel, God said, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years of the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And even Jesus instructed us to remember his work of redemption when we participate in communion. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul does seem to be contradicting what he, what we read in other parts of scripture. As we discuss this phrase, forgetting what lies behind, let's begin by talking about what Paul doesn't mean. Paul does not mean that we forget our knowledge of the Bible and sound Christian teaching. When Paul says forgetting what lies behind, he doesn't mean that we are to put out of our mind the things that we have been taught from scripture by godly people, the things that we have read from scripture, because the letter itself that he is writing to the Philippians proves that this is not what he means. And it certainly does not mean that we forget God's grace and mercy in our lives because he's been talking about them throughout this letter as well. We're not to forget the wondrous ways that God has worked in our lives. And and I would encourage you as you come to the end of 2019 to reflect back over your life this past year and remember the way in which God has led the way he has bestowed mercy and grace upon you, the provisions, his power at work in your life. Remember those things and celebrate those things. Paul is not saying that we are to forget God's grace and mercy. Nor is Paul telling us that we're to forget about our own personal past. We cannot, and we should not ignore our own personal life story. God has worked in our lives over the years and certain memories of, of where we've been, which once filled us with pain or guilt or bitterness can now begin to fill us with an ever increasing gratitude for God's grace and mercy and his presence in our past. So Paul is not saying, Deny your past, try to push it out of your consciousness, pretend it didn't happen, develop spiritual amnesia. He would never counsel us to do such things for he himself shared numerous times throughout the scriptures, his own life story and his own testimony of how God was at work in his life and some of the shameful things that he did in the past. So if this is what Paul doesn't mean, What then does he mean when he says forgetting what lies behind American theologian, Albert Barnes explains it in this way. 
He writes, there is an allusion here undoubtedly to the Grecian races. One running to secure the prize would not look, stop to look behind him to see how much ground he had run over or who of his competitors had fallen or lingered in the way. He would keep his eyes steadily on the prize and strain every nerve that he might obtain it. If his attention was diverted for a moment from that, it would hinder his flight and might be the means of his losing the crown. So the apostle says it was with him. He looked onward to the prize. He fixed the eye intently on that. It was a single object in his view. And he did not allow his mind to be diverted from that by anything, not even by the contemplation of the past. He did not stop to think of the difficulties which he had overcome or the troubles which he had met, but he thought of what was yet to be accomplished. In that quote from Albert Barnes twice, he uses the word divert. Paul did not want anything to divert him from his focus. And I think this is what Paul has in mind when he talks about leaving the past behind. He says he means that we are not to allow the past to divert our attention from growing in Christ likeness. He didn't want anything that would cause his focus to be taken away from that goal, that desire, that passion that he had. What then are those things which can divert our focus from growing in Christ like this? I think Paul would be telling us to leave behind our past attainments. Paul seems to be saying, whatever strides I have made, whatever ground I've covered, I don't consider myself done running. There is more race to run. Remember, Paul is writing the book of Philippians from a prison in Rome. He has already been on three missionary journeys. He has planted numerous churches. He has performed many miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. He has already accomplished much as God's messenger to the Gentiles. Yet Paul does not rest in these accomplishments and his past laurels. He doesn't look back over his life and think to himself, I can coast now. I've had a fairly successful career as an apostle. I can sit back and I can now take it easy. Because that is a temptation you and I face. To look back over our past spiritual accomplishments. To look back over our successes, our service to the Lord and think, you know what? I've done my part. I can put my life in cruise control. There are other pursuits that I'll give my time and attention to. And so we set aside our spiritual growth. We neglect it. And as a result, become spiritually stagnant. But like the Apostle Paul, we must strain toward Christ-likeness in spite of our past accomplishments. Just as glorying in past attainments can impede our spiritual progress, so also can wallowing in past sins. These sins can divert our focus on maturity in Christ. And so Paul would say to us, leave behind your past sins. You and I know that the apostle Paul was not a perfect man. In first Timothy, he said that before he came to know Christ, he was a blasphemer. He is a persecutor an insolent opponent of the faith. And when you read that from the, from the pen of the apostle Paul, you begin to wonder how often he thought with regret and remorse his part in the stoning of Stephen. I wonder if he ever thought of the countless others he had imprisoned and persecuted. 
I wonder if he ever lay awake at night thinking of the violent acts that he had committed. And I wonder if he ever regretted the strong disagreement that he had with Barnabas, his missionary partner over John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on their second missionary journey, but because John had failed in the first trip, Paul was not prepared to let him participate in the second trip. Therefore, Paul and Barnabas parted ways and, and scripture even suggests that they may have had some sharp words with each other before they did so. I don't think Paul was able to forget these experiences. However, he didn't become chained to these experiences of the past. He was able to accept the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace of God, and thus move forward in Christian maturity. Have you committed sins in the past that are now keeping you from moving forward in your spiritual life? Are these sins diverting your focus? Is Satan our enemy reminding you and condemning you of these past sins? Maybe cheating in a business deal. Falsely accusing a fellow employee of a particular act. Evading paying appropriate taxes. Stealing from the company. You've confessed your sin. You've made restitution for your sin. But the sin continues to dog you. You can't seem to get past it. It continues to haunt you. But in order to move forward, there's only one thing that you can do and that you must do. In faith, accept the forgiveness of God. In 1 John 1, 9, we, and we know this from memory, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When in humility we confess our sin, God promises to forgive us and, and therefore we must accept his forgiveness. He cast our sins into the deepest sea and he remembers them no longer, the psalmist tells us. He doesn't keep reminding us of how we failed. He cleanses us of our unrighteousness. Therefore, as John R. Rice once said, no matter what you did in the past, your future is spotless. Well, not only can past attainments and past sins divert our focus from growing spiritually, but so also can our past failures. Past failures are different than past sins because a failure isn't necessarily a sin. Yet we can be chained to those failures and give up our spiritual pursuits. How many projects have you started, but you never completed? How many new year resolutions have you made only to break, have broken each one of them? Perhaps you made a resolution to read your Bible every day or memorize scripture or be involved in a particular ministry and you started out strong, but soon found your enthusiasm and your commitment lagging. And so you gave up and now you look back and you quietly think to yourself, I tried and I failed. I just can't do it. It was Winston Churchill who said success is the ability to move from one failure to the next. Probably the greatest example of persistence in the midst of failure is Abraham Lincoln. If you want to learn about somebody who didn't quit, you don't have to look any further. Born into poverty, Lincoln was faced with defeat throughout his life. He lost eight elections, twice failed in business, and suffered a nervous breakdown. He could have quit many times, but he didn't. And because he didn't, he became one of the greatest presidents in the history of the United States. Lincoln was a champion and he never gave up. 
Just here is a sketch of Lincoln's road to the White House. 1816, his family was forced out of their home. He had to work to support them. 1818, his mother died. 1831, he failed in business. 1832, ran for state legislature, lost. 1832, also lost his job. He wanted to go to law school, but couldn't get in. 1833, borrowed some money from a friend to begin a business, and by the end of the year, he was bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years of his life paying off his debt. 1834, ran for state legislature again, and he won. 1835, was engaged to be married, but she, his fiancée died and his heart was broken. 1836, had a total nervous breakdown and was in bed for six months. 1838, sought to become Speaker of the State Legislature, defeated. 1840, sought to become Elector, defeated. 1843, ran for Congress, lost. 1846, ran for Congress again. This time he won, went to Washington, and he did a great job. 1848, ran for re-election to Congress, lost. 1849, sought the job of land officer in his home state, rejected. 1854, ran for Senate of the United States, lost. 1856, sought the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention, got less than 100 votes. 1858, ran for U.S. Senate again. Again, he lost. 1860, elected president of the United States. Reminds me of what the writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs 24, verse 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Success is getting up just one time more than you fall down. I want to ask you this morning, are you moving forward in your Christian life? Or are you too busy looking over your shoulder, looking at things that you ought to be leaving behind? Are you chained to your past attainments, achievements, your past sins, your past regrets, or anything else in your past? Are they diverting your attention and your focus from the goal of knowing Christ in a personal and powerful and practical way? Has your spiritual progress been impeded because of things in your past? As we have come to the last Sunday of 2019, we are standing on the threshold of a new year. And so will you renew your commitment to growing in your relationship with Christ? And will you take some determined and defined steps to move toward spiritual maturity? Will you, like the Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do, I press on. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. And so I'm going to press on. I'm not going to look over my shoulder and my past accomplishments, my past sins, my past failures, or whatever else is in my past. I'm going to move forward in the power of the Spirit. If we're going to move toward Christ-likeness, we need to leave the past behind. Yes, you must come to terms with your past, confess any sins of the past, and learn from the past. 
but do not be chained to the past. By the grace of God, you can move beyond your past and put every ounce of energy into growing in Christ-likeness. In 1968, at the Olympic Games in Mexico City, the final event was the marathon. There was an Ethiopian runner who had entered into the stadium. He was the first to enter there, and he finished the track and ran across the finish line, and he won the race. But about an hour behind him, there was a man by the name of John Stephen Akwawe of Tanzania. And at about 30 kilometers, his head began to throb. His legs began to give way. He stumbled and he fell over in the middle of the race. The officials urged him to just give up and retire for the day. But he kept saying, no. Get me some bandages. I need to wrap up my knees and finish this race. And so he did. He got up. He picked himself up. He ran the seven and a half miles to finish the race. By the time he got to the stadium, most people had left. And so he entered it. He stumbled around the track to the finish line. And as he crossed the finish line, he fell over. Shortly after, a reporter approached him and asked, why didn't you just give up the race? And he said, my country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish it. Christ didn't save you and me just to get us into the door. He wants our lives to be transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. So don't give up. Press on. Complete the race regardless of how bloody and bruised you may become. Press on. Heavenly Father, as we are now approaching a new year, it's often a time for us to take inventory and take stock of our lives. And I pray that even today in the quietness of this moment, there would be a, quiet, a resolve within each of us to press on to determine that the greatest joy and delight is to know you and to be conformed to the image of your son, to experience the power of your resurrection in our lives each and every day and to share in the sufferings of our Savior. And so, Father, there are going to be things that will seek to trip us up and ensnare us, those things in the past that will haunt us and dog us. Father, as we deal with the past, as we learn with the past, as we are forgiven of our past, we do this one thing. We look forward and we press on toward that prize, toward that goal, for your reward. And so we ask, Father, for your spirit to empower us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Church or search on your favorite podcast app.